This is the Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Mitt Ghosh, an internal medicine physician at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We've all heard about the tragedies because of COVID. I was just checking the numbers today. 5.7 million cases all over the world, and there's over 350,000 cases. But it appears that since the first case was reported, 31st December 2019, we've had a whole array of new symptoms that we have identified. Previously, the thought was that infants and uh, children are not affected by COVID, but a report came out in the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report in April, where they studied uh, 345 cases, all pediatric, who had confirmed COVID-19. Out of that, 23% had an underlying condition with chronic lung disease like asthma, cardiovascular disease, and we're on some immunosuppression. But what we are going to discuss today is something much more sinister, a condition which is called multi-system inflammatory syndrome potentially associated with COVID-19. Today, we are joined over podcast by Dr. Nipponi Rajapaksi, who is Assistant Professor of Pediatric Infectious Disease in Mayo Clinic, Rochester. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Rajapaksi. for having me today. Can you uh, describe the background behind identification of the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children? Yes, so this is a syndrome that we were alerted to at the end of April by the National Health System in the UK after they noted an increase in children who were being admitted to intensive care units there uh, presenting with a clinical syndrome that uh, was felt to look like some other childhood illnesses, uh, namely Kawasaki disease or toxic shock syndrome. And so they had released this alert to increase the awareness of their physicians so that these children could be identified and treated quickly. After that alert was released, uh, other countries, including in Europe and North America, including here in the United States, uh, started to notice an increase in these cases as well. And since then, um, they have come up with a case definition or a description of the clinical syndrome um, and uh, have released this so that we can uh, increase awareness and uh, identification of these children. Can you uh, describe the case definition of the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children? Yes, so a few different case definitions have been proposed by a variety of groups, including the CDC here in the United States, the World Health Organization. Uh, Most of them have uh, pretty similar features. So primarily uh, here in the United States, we're using the CDC definition, which uh, encompasses uh, individuals under 21 years of age who present with fever and lab evidence of inflammation. So these are typically uh, lab markers like elevated CRP, ESR, uh, fibrinogen, um, as well as evidence of multi-system involvement. So this can involve either cardiac, renal, respiratory systems. Uh, Many children have had gastrointestinal uh, system involvement or uh, neurologic involvement has been seen as well. Within the case definition, obviously other uh, causes need to be excluded. Um, There is some overlap in what has been described clinically uh, amongst other pediatric conditions such as uh, Kawasaki disease, toxic shock, um, things like that. And then they're also looking for evidence of a recent or current uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, either through a positive uh, nasopharyngeal PCR, uh, positive serologic test, or even uh, 
recent known exposure within four weeks to someone with COVID-19. So that's kind of the general CDC criteria that has been set out. For now, we know that there are probably some children who may not meet full criteria that would fall on this spectrum, but that's what has been specified in the case definition at this time. Do we have any case series or anything from U.S. on the syndrome? So uh, most of what we have learned so far has come from areas uh, within the U.S. Who have, that have seen a large outbreaks, so predominantly here that has been um, in the New York area. And there has been kind of uh, efforts to collect cases across the United States and share that data. We have learned a lot in the last month, um, I think just through excellent communication and information sharing uh, between multiple institutions uh, across the country and really around the world. And what we have learned from this is some of the clinical presentation so, uh, and some of the demographics that have been affected. So we know that children across uh, the age span have, have been affected. So ranging from young infants all the way up to uh, the teenage years, there seems to be a disproportionate number of racial and ethnic minority children who are presenting with this syndrome. And I think that's an area that we'll need to look at uh, more closely to better understand uh, why that is. But especially African-American children in the United States seem to be disproportionately affected. And then when we look at how these children are uh, coming into hospital, uh, the most predominant symptoms that people are reporting are persistent fever and uh, gastrointestinal symptoms seem to be uh, quite common as well in up to half of children presenting. So these are things like abdominal pain, uh, nausea, and diarrhea. Interestingly, in contrast to severe COVID-19 illness itself, uh, respiratory symptoms um, have really only been reported in a minority um, of children. Um, and then other things like rash, conjunctivitis, mucositis, symptoms that have overlap with other uh, clinical conditions like Kawasaki disease um, have been reported. I think most concerningly uh, has been the reports of children presenting with shock and requiring care in intensive care unit, um, often associated with uh, left ventricular dysfunction, signs of myocarditis, and involvement of the coronary arteries as well. And so that has been what has been described so far by uh, some of the large centers that have seen most of the children presenting with this syndrome. I, I wanted to uh, ask you of, uh, to explain further, not all these patients were PCR positive for COVID-19, and a lot of them have uh, antibody positive, and some of them were neither. PCR positive or antibody positive. So can you kind of elaborate on that? Yes, Dr. Ghosh, I think that's a, a very kind of important part of what we have been seeing. But when you look at all of the cases that have been collected and reported thus far, it actually seems like a minority of those cases have been PCR positive, and there's been much more commonly antibody positive children. And this is part of the reason why we suspect that this syndrome is most likely a post-infectious complication from SARS-CoV-2 infection rather than uh, a direct viral mediated uh, injury. The other piece of information that kind of supports that hypothesis is uh, these cases were noted or started to be reported about three to four weeks after uh, initial community transmission was uh, reported in, in many of the areas that have seen cases. And that also suggests that this may be more of a post-infectious uh, type phenomenon. 
that's an excellent finding uh, which you mentioned. And I think the antibody, we are getting to know about the characteristics, testing characteristics, the specificity and sensitivity. And uh, because uh, there is a lot of false positive and there is also, I'm sure there are false negatives. So we won't know uh, whether some of the negative cases were truly false negative uh, from the antibody standpoint. And, and that's something needs to be determined. But what is the prognosis of these children, the cases which have been studied all over the world till now? How are they faring compared to the adults with COVID? So, yeah, so that's a, an important question. Because we've only known about this clinical syndrome for about a month now, we don't have long-term follow-up uh, data for these children. But what we're hearing from centers that have cared for many of them is that overall, especially when they're identified early and treated early, the prognosis is very good. Um, there have unfortunately been some deaths in both the United States and in other countries um, as well. But overall, children, when they're recognized, when they're diagnosed and treated, uh, do seem to do well and uh, recover. So how do you treat them? That's a great question. Um, there have not been any trials looking at different modes of treatment for these children, given it's a recently described condition. Most uh, centers have been managing uh, these children as we would manage a Kawasaki disease. Um, and so that involves the use of high-dose uh, IVIG or intravenous immunoglobulin, along with uh, steroids in some cases or other immunomodulatory drugs. Uh, definitely the mainstay of treatment has been excellent supportive care. There have been children who required use of pressors for blood pressure support, uh, fluid resuscitation, uh, ventilation, primarily due to uh, their cardiac issues, more so than respiratory uh, failure itself. Um, and some children have required ECMO as well. Um, I think we're still learning about what treatments may be helpful um, in this situation, and uh, there's additional research being done on that as well. Um, because of some of the similarities to Kawasaki disease, as well as uh, some of the coronary artery involvement, uh, aspirin has also been used primarily for antiplatelet effect um, and has typically been continued until children have had follow-up echoes, uh, usually two and six weeks after diagnosis to uh, confirm whether they have developed any uh, cardiac complications. So Dr. Rajapakse, as you mentioned, uh, several of these cases are African-American, I've also read African-Caribbean, and they are male children. Uh, how do you compare it with just pre-COVID Kawasaki? Is there any kind of racial disparity in Kawasaki as we know Kawasaki before, I mean, in the pre-COVID era? So that's a, an excellent question. I, so for Kawasaki disease, um, we know that children of uh, Asian backgrounds seem to be more likely to develop Kawasaki disease. The rates in uh, Japan and parts of East Asia are somewhere between 10 to 30 times higher than we see in other parts of the world. But as you correctly pointed out, this um, multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, reports have been that uh, children of Black race have been more disproportionately affected. I don't think we know for sure why that is. I can propose a couple of hypotheses. Uh, one, we know that racial and ethnic minority populations have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic as a whole due to a large variety of uh, complex factors. And so um, could this just reflect uh, increase in infections in that group and therefore we're seeing increased post-inflammatory sequelae? That is possible, but uh, given that we know that 
um, other inflammatory conditions in children like Kawasaki disease can carry with them a racial predisposition or a genetic predisposition um, that is also kind of high on the list of, of possibilities. And so I think we need to evaluate the demographics of who's being affected by this carefully so that we can best understand um, how to identify, manage, and treat these kids. So that's a great summary on what we know about this new entity called multi-system inflammatory syndrome, potentially associated with COVID-19, which is affecting the pediatric age group. And there is now a health alert going all across the world to care systems, both the emergency department, frontline docs, pediatricians, to watch out for this disease. And as you just heard Dr. Raja Pakasake beautifully describe about the signs and symptoms of this uh, disease, and also about some of the racial disparity which we are seeing associated with this disease and with multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. Uh, we don't know what the cause is, but that needs to be identified and worked up. But is there any additional point you would like our listeners to hear or learn about this disorder, what to do, what we are going to look at, the numbers going to go up? Yeah, so I think uh, the important thing to recognize, this is a serious, but thankfully appears to be a rare complication in children. But I think for that reason, we really need everyone uh, that cares for children uh, in healthcare to be aware of it and be alert to it. As you mentioned, uh, this is now a reportable disease uh, here in the United States as well as around the world. The World Health Organization is also uh, collecting global data. And so if people are seeing uh, children who may meet the case definition in their practice, we would really encourage them to reach out to their local public health officials and report these cases um, just because uh, collection of, of data and uh, will be ultimately what helps us to understand this syndrome better. And since it is rare, each center may only see a handful of cases, but we will really need to aggregate all of that information together to fully uh, understand what is going on here. So I would really encourage people to, to keep an eye out and to report cases uh, that they come across to their local public health so they can be shared with others and we can all learn from this. Thank you, Dr. Raja Pakasake. So today we have been listening to Dr. Nipuni Raja Pakasake, who's a pediatric infectious disease consultant at the Mayo Clinic Rochester, talk about this new entity called multi-system inflammatory syndrome, potentially associated with COVID-19 affecting children and mainly in the pediatric age group. It's been an eye-opener as we are learning about how to tackle the new diseases which are almost uh, showing up both in the adult and the pediatric category and one has to be so alert in picking up these new symptoms. We will continue to bring you updates on the situation as the events unfold. If you have enjoyed Mayo Clinic podcast, please subscribe, stay healthy, and we'll see you back next week.